All right, ready? Yes. I'm not. I lost. Okay, <laughs> here we go. All right. I like that you did the snap, like the old school. When Adam's like, "Yeah, you guys don't need to do snaps. This I is just like a thing." I always like snapping. I like snapping. Yeah. It is helpful. He's not. I feel like he misled you a bit, but okay. I understand that you can see the line there. You can see the I, line. I, can I, see I the got line. it. I, I got know. it. I know you know. But it's like, if we're like slightly off with the snap, like yeah, they yeah. can still tell approximately where it is. <laughs> yes. These are edited, right? So it's- <laughs> Nope, this is all raw. All You're right, raw. it's all raw. Well, anyway, hello and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage. I'm joined as always by Sylvie LeBeau. Sylvie, how are you? I'm good, I'm good today. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I know. Great, fantastic. I feel like I haven't been like emphatically Good. You haven't been emphatically good, but now you are. Are you good because we have a great guest today? Yeah, maybe that's it. I think that's it. Today, we have Victoria Vainberg, goes by V, right? Goes by V. Slightly shocking, she doesn't go by double V. Oh, that's right. I didn't even think of that, VV. Yeah, I mean VV. That's an amazing <laughs> name, amazing alliteration. Well, Victoria, I mean V, is the CMO at Resi, a restaurant reservation platform. Um, she's been there for a little bit, joined them before they were acquired by Amex, has helped them navigate the pandemic. Super interesting conversation. I think it really changed your whole mood. I think you're just a happier <laughs> person mute. now. You're mute. It changed your whole mood. That's what the kids are calling it now, right? A mute? Just <laughs> And we got a snort. Oh, okay. We haven't seen the snort in a while. Sylvie, what's going on in your world these days? Why else are you so excited? You know, it's it's getting a little warmer out. And I'm I'm feeling really good about that. I've uh I've tossed the old frisbee with Adam now twice. You and Silent Adam, both fans of tossing the disc. Tossing the disc. That's um, great. I I got an outdoor beer with with an old friend who was visiting from Baltimore. Like you know things are things are uh they're looking up. They're looking up. Tossing a little disc. They're getting <laughs> one beer with a friend. One you beer. really. That life you're describing, Sylvie, <laughs> fantastic know. stuff. You know, fast paced. Yeah. I'm living in the fast lane these days. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of things, looking up, V, she talked to us a lot about how the restaurant industry has been changing. Things are exciting, so let's jump into this conversation with Victoria. It's gonna be tasty. Had to do it. How long were you waiting to say that? <laughs> Hours, days. Welcome, V, to the podcast. So excited that you're here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So you are the CMO at Resi, but for those who don't know, what is Resi? Resi is both a software for restaurants to manage their table management systems, and it's also a consumer brand and platform to discover and book um, what we would tell you are the best restaurants around the world, mm. all in one place. Awesome. And I have a feeling that Sylvia is quite a big fan of Resi. Am I right on this, Sylvia? <laughs> Love Resi. Just used it the other day. Perfect. She was like, Resi, Resi. Oh my gosh. Resi, Resi. Is that Victoria's coming? Of me? Yeah, that's how you talk. <laughs> I mean, it's a fun word to say. It yeah, is fun. It is fun. It is fun. So I know you've been in the digital marketing space for, for over a decade. Where did you start and how did you end up at Resi? I started my career at ESPN, which is um, a great place for anyone to start What's a ESPN? Career. Is that like a... Yeah, I think it's also a table management system. No, <laughs> <laughs> I had a very non-exciting job when I started there and then found my way to 
what was being built at the time, which was like a digital marketing org that was very tiny, didn't really exist. You know, ESPN was really ahead of the game on mobile and social and all the things that we talk about today that are obvious. But I sort of kind of like fell into it and I was a digital like account manager. So I really learned kind of digital from the back end, right? Like how the site worked, how we set up ads. We worked on initial things like the idea of a homepage takeover didn't really exist. So, you know, it gave me a lot of like just fundamental understanding of the digital space. And I probably worked on everything digital at ESPN. Um, My last role before I left there, I kind of worked on the first part of the social business. So ESPN was really early to like the idea of Twitter and live tweeting during games. And there was like a small group of us that did that and also built it into an ad revenue business. When you were building that out, there's obviously ESPN, very traditional media. Yeah. Was that hard to like say to them, hey, look, this new thing's happening? Because it really is changing what they are, right? As a media company. Totally. It was. It's funny because I think when you look back, you're like, how did we do that relatively quickly? And I don't by any means take credit for, you know, really the content and the voice piece of it. There was somebody who first started flagging to ESPN, we need to have a distinct voice in the space and we should be on these platforms and look at the distribution Facebook gets you. And he was really at the forefront, live tweeting games in the voice of ESPN. And we're starting this trend way ahead of the trend. But I think as that started to prove valuable and from my side, I was really starting to build out how we made it a business ultimately, right? So how we used to sell tweets to advertisers like at a cost per tweet. Oh, really? Um, like that like was the yeah. Oh yeah, that was the initial model was like, here's our follower account. I mean, you would laugh now, but it was like, here's our follower account. The algorithms didn't block you at the time, right? So if you get this many impressions coming to ESPN.com, I can get you this many from two tweets. And so we kind of like embarked on this journey to prove out that it was a business model. And I think that is part of what helped us in the walls of ESPN get a lot of attention for it. And then we sort of moved to, we really like created concepts that integrated TV with social. So I think my all-time favorite one to date, we had a live vote going for the Super Bowl. It was Seahawks and I forget who they were playing, but um, it was a live vote all day on all the shows on ESPN. And then the Empire State Building lit up at the end of the night with the winning vote. And it was like, I said, now it seems gimmicky probably, but it was all new at the time. So it was this crazy universe of like learning the space for sure. That's super cool. It's also just thinking about the fact that your team was so small. Yeah. And yet having that kind of impact, which I think happens a lot, actually, when there's like a, a new channel or a new media site, like Clubhouse is the thing I'm thinking about yeah. right now, which is like, totally. okay, there's a small number of people representing a brand and brands are taking these risks all the time. And then if it works, it, like, it grows and it seems obvious yeah. later, but like it's often, yeah. you know, a little bit scary in the moment. Yeah, I think we were all too young to be <laughs> scared of anything. We we're just like figuring this. Thing. Yeah. I mean, obviously the platforms grew, but you know, it's those sort of serendipitous things of, you know, I didn't realize how much more I knew about 
this digital universe than other people just because I happen to have started working on it early. So that certainly helped me a lot as I left ESPN and kind of like moved on. And um, I went to CBS Sports for a year. And then after that, I moved over to Anheuser-Busch. And I think part of why I got hired was, oh, we need someone to oversee digital for the Budweiser brand. And, you know, like I said, in my head, I didn't realize I knew so much more than maybe the typical candidate would. So I spent a couple years at AB and ultimately was overseeing the digital business for the US for all the core brands. But that also included like innovation. So how we brought mobile ordering to sports and music stadiums so that you didn't have to like leave your seat to get a beer delivered. Wow, cool. And (laughs) I like that. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's great. You know, how did that not exist? And that was my first foray into building, you know, our own database. We didn't have one at A B. So I worked on data, how we use social listening. I don't know if it's called something different now, but how we use insights from what people are actually talking about and tools from that to help guide decisions. So, you know, had a really big breadth of things there, everything from creative media to these innovation tactics. And my path to Resi is interesting because as much as I love sports, I also really love restaurants and going out to eat. I was an early user of Resi in New York, a big fan of it. And I'd always wanted to create something where basically like a Spotify follow playlist style thing. I didn't understand. And I still don't think it exists in a great way. But I just want to follow people I trust on food recommendations, right? Like, everybody's got a friend who they text when they're yeah, like, the one person you know, who like who, knows all yeah. the spots and tells you the yep. right thing to order at the restaurant. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, well, Rezzy's awesome. It's got these great restaurants. Maybe I can pitch them on building this like list idea into their product which is what I did. So you reached out to I them. I did. I reached out and I pitched our CEO or then CEO on this idea. And then we started just chatting about other things. And he was asking my opinion about marketing and stuff. And, you know, Resi hadn't fully invested in marketing at the time. They had a couple small functions they were doing, but not in a real way. They hadn't invested any paid media. They were kind of just growing the restaurant side and taking the organic guest traffic that came from it. And yeah, we just chatted and somehow turned into me going over there, which I was also super excited about because I'd obviously been at a number of big companies and really wanted to try to build something from scratch that I was like passionate about. What what was that transition like? Because I feel like a lot of people (laughs) have this exact opportunity slash challenge, which is like, you're working at the big place, you want to jump to the small place, you're Mm -hmm. working at a focus thing, you're around all these other things, and suddenly you're in charge of everything. What was that transition like for you? Yeah, I mean, it's scary. (laughs) I probably don't think anyone would describe me as being scared. But I think I was scared because as you said, right, there's no conveyor belt. So like everything's on you, right? Like when you're at a big company, it's, you know, you, you fail at a couple of things or it doesn't work, but like, you know, you're part of a system here. It's like, there's no one else who's making the call on stuff, right? For the most part, you're making the call and you're responsible. But I think that I probably blocked that out a little bit. And like, once I got into it, 
was like, oh, like here are easy wins. Like here are things that I know how to do that will help. You know, I think my background all sort of came together and I was able to just start doing versus like worrying so much about the responsibility of it, so to speak. And I know a lot of people talk about the big to small. I think you have to be a person who's like willing to be hands-on to do it to start because if you come from a big company and yes, like you're saying, like on paper, it's like, oh my God, I run digital for the US. I couldn't possibly know how to do a lot of this stuff without a ton of help, but you're not going to have a lot of help, right? When you go to a small place. So I think that's actually a big part of that transition is you have to be willing to say, well, I can delegate some things, but some of them I'm just going to have to do myself because really nascent brands aren't staffed to do everything you're accustomed to. And did you, when you talked about easy wins, is that like looking at tactics? Like, hey, you're not doing this over here. Or is it more looking at fundamentals? Like my understanding is that pre you arriving at Resi, there wasn't much of a brand. And then it's really become something that people care about. Like it has emotion. Um, yeah. Sylvie's like in awe of Resi, right? And so she wouldn't <laughs> be in awe of it if she didn't actually care about it. So how does yeah. that happen? Is that easy wins? Is that strategy? Is that tactics? Like, what would your advice be for someone? And what 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 happened there? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Sylvia, you're like my hype girl today. Thank you. Yeah, say the love story. <laughs> Tell me my own love story. <laughs> I think it's a combo, right? Like some easy wins were really basic tactics. Like, let me show you how investing a little bit can get you, you know, quicker growth, right? Because if you don't have that background, and you, you know, have whatever limited funding you have, right? Every dollar counts. So it was that piece. But I, I do think, and one of the first things we did was say, what does this brand stand for? It's not that I needed to create what it stands for from scratch. The information was there. It just, aside from us having the name, which, you know, it's a great name and that plays a huge role, right? Like it's, better to build off something that fits in the vernacular and, you know, is fun and comes with an attitude. Um, that was the first step was like, we actually have to build, right, this universe of what is this brand? How do we pull together how it represents restaurants and consumers and really all the people who work there? Because the first thing I learned coming to Resi is I thought that I was like the friend and I am the friend for my friends that's like, here's where to go. But you step into Resi and you're like, I don't know shit about restaurants compared to the people <laughs> who work here. And that's part of this special sauce of Resi is there are a ton of people with amazing background working in restaurants, a lot of industry knowledge. And those people influence the experience that they give to our restaurant partners every day. So it was really kind of like, you know, building a brand manifesto and crystallizing things that people inside the walls of Resi knew, right, and wanted to be, and starting to form that into a narrative that we could bring out to the universe. And then I also would say, this is part of how I'd felt going into Resi is, at the time, the only thing people really talked about was open table. Obviously, you've got talk and seven rooms and a couple other players in the space that get talked about now. But at the time, I was like, here's Open Table. Like, they were first, they were smart, they built a really valuable product, but they didn't build a brand 
that anybody wanted to tout, right? And they didn't have a lane in the industry that, in my opinion, it's not a knock to them. It's just like that wasn't a fundamental part of what they were building. And, you know, when people say, what brands do you love? Like people name brands they love. It goes a long way. So I think that there was also the white space, not just of our restaurant business model and what support we provided to partners, but room to be more than just a button you push to book a table, right? And that's when we got into growing content and experiences and, you know, creating a brand presence that was playful and witty and like, again, just really captured in our view, the joy of what going to restaurants feels like. I love that. And I love also that you said, you know, you got in there and there's all these people who are restaurant experts. And it's like, how do I take this basically the culture of these people and take the right elements of that? And that is going to end up being what the brand totally. is. Because I think that's often the case is like that the brand comes from the people and the culture. Yeah. So that's very cool to hear that yeah. process. So Resi has relationships with restaurant owners and restaurant goers. Can you talk a little bit about how you market to those two different groups and how yes. do you keep the brand's identity consistent across that? Yep. So um, we actually did most of the like legwork on the consumer brand first, because even for a restaurant, ultimately we're all catering to the end user, which is the diner and the guest, right? So there's like a level of the core brand playing a role in everything. And then on the restaurant specific side, we basically took the identity and a lot of that work, but carved out kind of the lane of how we speak about our software, our operating system to restaurants. So it's like rooted in a lot of the same visuals with slight tweaks that are more relevant to the restaurant, like restaurateur and the operator user. And again, they incorporate elements of both because of the guests being right. Everyone's kind of end game. So for restaurants, we're resi by restaurants for restaurants, which is what we've been from the get-go. That's not me inventing something. That was the premise of the company. It's like we build tools that we know restaurants want and need. It doesn't come from us making up what we think they need. It comes from them telling us. So that's an important piece of that. And then on the guest side, like I said, we're really about being the destination for people who love dining out at great restaurants. So those dots really connect. And, you know, our objectives are obviously different, right? When we market to restaurants, we're talking to them a lot about the products that they're looking for, right? Rolling out new features. But where we really bridge the gap is how do we create consumer experiences and tactics and things that restaurants can also benefit from? So for example, Q1, you know, with Amex focusing on, you know, small business, the campaign was very jointly all around takeout. Obviously, I don't need to explain. We all know restaurants needed takeout as an emphasis this year. But what we did is created collateral for restaurants to post raising their hands saying, oh, we're participating, right? And order and help out. And then we created this idea of takeout Tuesday packages. So we partnered with certain restaurants to make sure we curated and had packages every Tuesday that would incentivize you to order something new and exciting every week. But we also made that available for any restaurant to participate in. So you could just 
say, I'm whatever restaurant, I'm going to make a takeout Tuesday package. And now I can benefit from the marketing engine that's going out to consumers. So really kind of focus on core value for each side and then how we can create win-win opportunities for everybody. And you mentioned American Express there and American Express bought Resi a few years yeah. ago, right? So, and how, how did that change things? Did that change your role a lot? Like, I mean, obviously you're, you're used to being in large organizations. Yeah. So were you like, oh, I'm back at home? Or were you like, oh, <laughs> like, was that exciting or did that suck? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, I mean, it's exciting because um, Amex has wanted to and we are retaining the Resi brand. So, It wasn't an acquisition that was like, I'm buying your software and I'm removing the everything else. They actually also bought us for our brands and for our value that we bring overall. So it's given us, you know, leverage and a broader network value that we can bring to restaurants and to guests. Like all integrations, it takes time and Amex is a big org. So, you know, we got to integrate into everything. But I would say like, you know, they really believe in Resi and us retaining and growing our business model, but then also expanding. And really our goal is that Resi becomes the dining brand of American Express. And our audiences overlap really well Um, with COVID. You know, Amex was able to help us offer fee relief to all our partners through June of this year. So it's been really amazing because American Express is all about backing partners, backing card members. That's the same mantra, right? We live by like, we want to back our restaurant partners. So the synergies are always there and that's never really straight. And I think it's enabled us to do things, especially in COVID that would be really scary to think about. Totally. We would have done in that time. And I think, you know, together we've just been able to drive so much business back to our restaurants. And, you know, now we're starting to see that resurgence and the return to dining here. And I think that restaurants see that support collectively as a network. Yeah. Can you talk about what the last year has been like and what do you think is going to happen next? Yeah. um, It's been crazy, obviously, in every way. I think when my friends ask me, like, how's work? And I say, we're busy. They're like, but how? Like the restaurant industry (laughs) is falling apart. But um, we moved really fast in the beginning. I think I'm really proud of the whole team for that. Like I said, there was no hesitation on getting fee relief approved. We jumped as quickly as we could into starting to surface content for everyone of like, okay, who's open? What are they doing? You know, in the very beginning, it was like, gift cards, just what are all the things we could do to help support restaurants and rally consumers behind it. We had built a couple of features early on, you know, in that very initial wave of COVID as well. Things that could alert you to know that your favorite restaurant is closed, but now they've actually reopened for takeout. We created like a pickup product that people could use. So we really like pivoted. And again, everybody came at it from how do we really help these partners? And it was like a totally selfless effort of let's do everything we can to help these restaurants stay afloat. So that was definitely the early wave. And, you know, we kind of continued our best efforts, like investing in as much as we could that supported outdoor dining, 
um, you know, we've done a lot for card members and the broader audience. You guys might have seen we popped up different outdoor dining structures. We helped to fund some of what Rockwell Group built in Chinatown and in Queens around outdoor dining for some of those restaurants who are really struggling. You know, like I said, we've just been doing as much as humanly possible to bring dining back in some form in a safe way, whether that's been outdoor, takeout, any of that. And then, you know, really from even just a pure marketing standpoint, it got the team to be super creative about, okay, well, like events are quote unquote dead, but we actually did a ton of events last year. We created like takeout formats of programming. And then we launched our drive-through event, which was We've now done twice, but it. What's the drive-through event? So the drive-through event is you do a ten-course tasting from your car. So think like you went to a food festival, yeah. But you drive spot to spot, so it's ten oh, restaurants. It. Oh wow, that's curated. cool! I love that. <laughs> Thanks. You know, ten different restaurants, ten different spots, and you just sit in your car, and everything serves safely and individually, and you never get out. But you know, you get to like experience this awesome curated for you menu and experience there with plus ups for Amex Gold card members. And the last one we just did two weeks ago, Miami had like a donut kind of car wash that Gold card members could go through and then come out with like a special donut from one of the shops down there. So we would never have thought of that in a non-COVID world. And um, it's an awesome idea to do even if you know, there was no COVID in my opinion. So, you know, we really kind of just kept pivoting to like, let's provide as much form of normalcy when it comes to going out to eat as possible, because nobody realized how much they took restaurants for granted, right? Until they couldn't go everywhere they wanted to go. And when I say like things are back, I mean, the outdoor in warm climates has been back. Like, you know, when you look at the numbers, there are many markets around the country that are, I'm not sure they know COVID happened, but you know, they've got warmer warmer climates Uh and people have been going out to eat and reservations are taken everywhere. I think when you look at cities like New York and LA who have started to roll back restrictions, you can see via the numbers that, you know, reservation traffic back back up. So you know, we're now really pivoting off of coming off the takeout stuff from Q1. And we're really going into the phase of people get out there and make your reservations on Resi and discover great places to go. We're not going to dictate for you what your level of comfort is, right? You know, we'll give you the info, but if you want to eat inside and that's part of your city's like restriction list and you want to do that by all means, if you're only comfortable outside, if you're only comfortable with takeout, that's all up to you. But you know, we feel really good about being back in the marketplace now. And do you think a lot of these things that you've learned, like the fine dining drive through sounds like, I mean, that would never have happened otherwise, right? Yeah. Um, but it does seem like it in and of itself is like an interesting event. Do you think we'll go back to like normal dining and more takeout and these other things? Or do you think it's actually like, the normal dining experience in and of itself is so great that we will drop some of the wilder, you know, things that were invented in COVID. (laughs) It's a good question. I think that I would say like, as far as this industry goes, one of the things we learned in general is the importance of 
restaurants being able to expand their revenue streams and how much they offer. And so I think that there's continued room for virtual events and experiences, right? Like I know everyone's tired of Zooming and whatever, but there is room to, I think, in my opinion, we've done a bunch of virtual programming that sells out and works great. I don't think that stuff has to go away, right? It just means you can experience something from home that in the past we would have said is only for this location. So I think some of that will continue. Um, I also think for us personally, like some of the event formats we look at, we just think more about the at-home component. So I think that the in-person is going to be what everyone wants and it's back. But I think the COVID effect, again, in my view, is like you just think more about all the other ways somebody could have that experience at home and start to offer it. And I think that's a good thing because it's going to allow us to scale more. And events are inherently one of the things that, you know, my team gets annoyed because they say it all the time. But it's like, it's only for this many people. And there's only so many like recaps of an event somebody wants to see. So the more we can expose someone to whatever it is, even if that means ordering it off Gold Belly and getting it delivered, right? Or having a form of it that you can do takeout in your city. Like, you know, that's stuff that we're always talking about is like, let's just add more tentacles to it. Yeah, it's like being able to order from your seat, right? Like the yeah. same thing. Yeah. Um, okay, this show is called Talking Too Loud. And yes. it's called Talking Too Loud because when I get excited, I talk too loud. I've been told this since I was a child. <laughs> I'm constantly being told I'm keeping the neighborhood up. What are you excited about right now? What's got you talking too loud these days? Oh, it's so sad. I saw the premise and it's a clever name. And I'm like, my life is so boring right now. <laughs> <laughs> boring in the sense like, well, I have kids, so it's not boring. But um, I have really done a really sad job of finding hobbies in COVID mm. Because seems like really, your, your hobby is trying to keep the restaurant industry afloat. Well, it's like I'm working, <laughs> you know, whatever time, extra time is kid time. And then I'm basically like, all right, what can I watch on TV? But um, no, my normally my hobbies would be all like active things that are hard to do. Mm. Um, so I'm not talking too loud. My husband's obsessed with Top Shot. So he's talking too loud about that. I'm learning about. NFTs. Oh, not by NFTs. not by choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone is learning about NFTs whether or not they want to yeah. these days. <laughs> I'm really just kind of living for the like, you know, few friends and things I get to see every now and then and just trying to be optimistic about that coming back into my life. So I'm sorry. I feel like that's a horrible answer. I think like actually your answer on what got you talking too loud is just basically like I'm surviving a pandemic. Thanks. Yeah. Like that, which, which I appreciate. I have kids as well and I understand it's insane. Yeah. Um, we really loved having you on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm a big podcast listener. So always awkward and fun to be on the other side. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, you did great. Thanks for being here with us today. Thanks so much.
I like how Victoria really just is so v, kind of come like, on. You're, yeah, you're, v. You're, yeah. You. I like how V is just so relaxed as she yeah. talks about all of these things. I mean, I remember when brands first started to embrace Twitter and actually share their personality. And it's kind of a big deal, right? It was like helped us figure out what that platform was going to become. So it's cool to see that evolution now with Resi, you know, setting up outdoor dining for folks and doing the fine dining drive throughs And like, it's almost, again, she's kind of taking the approach of like, of course I'm doing this. Like this, this is what we would do. Right. And yet these are like these very interesting, different, remarkable things. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I think at one point she said, when you were asking her about transitioning to Resi and being the CMO, she was like, I was scared, but people wouldn't describe me as scared. And I'm always like, damn, can I drink what you're drinking? Like when I'm scared, people know I am scared. Oh yeah, when you're scared, it's obvious. It's very obvious. <laughs> You've never seen me scared, have you? Oh yeah. No, you I have. feel like you know we're going in an interview, and you're just like, uh oh, and there's this look on your face, and there's all this like <laughs> this like texts start coming in. Oh my god. <laughs> Bring it back to the point. Get focused. What are you doing? Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, fair. Fair. <laughs> yeah, I appreciated her sort of like cool as a cucumber vibe. And I meant to ask her. I'm sorry I didn't. Maybe we could do something for social. I meant to ask her favorite restaurants in New York. I am missing just like going out, getting some wine, getting some delicious food. I love restaurants. I do. Are you a restaurant head? Am I a restaurant head? Am I a restaurant head? Restaurant head. You like a deadhead? You just like go to every restaurant <laughs> over and over and over. No, I love restaurants. Yes, and I miss them. And uh, it's nice to eat and not have to clean your own dishes every once in a while, right? That that part. Mm -hmm. So ready for you know restaurants to open up and and I'm yeah just like ready to hang out with my buds outdoors and eat some delicious food. I know. Let's go. And you and me, we got to go do this drive-through restaurant thing once it's safe. Yes. Will you do this? Will you do when this? We're, when we're both fully vaxxed. Yeah. Let's we're gonna go. We're going to be. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, we can just bleep that. Don't worry. I know, but then I made it worse. We're going to be unstoppable, is what I was trying to say. <laughs> and then we'll, we've never been in person. That's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Yes. So. If you're still listening, please rate and review the podcast wherever you are, in every, every app you're in, on every website you're at. If you see Talking Too Loud, give us a nice little review. It makes a huge difference. It helps, it helps spread the word. We'd also love your feedback directly. Long form emails. Please send them to ttlpod at wisdom.com. Attach video messages with audio. Ooh, you, you could do I that with Soapbox. I would love that. Yes, you could do that with anything and get the right message. It will make it on air. I promise you that. And uh, we have a lot more great content coming from Wistia. So check it out, wistia.com slash series. New podcast coming soon. Massive content launch coming. There's a lot of stuff. So please stay tuned. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you next time. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia. Hosted by Chris Savage. Produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham of Edit Audio. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.